That last song didn't light your fire. What do they say? Your wood's wet. That's right. Wow, what, a, what an awesome group of young people who just marched out. Did they leave mad or happy? Or You know, some people get up mad and leave. Some people get up happy. Which will you do today? Get up mad or get up happy? Hope it's happy. Well, you made it uh, to the first Sunday. You're on the way to 52 consecutive Sundays worshiping the Lord in some way, in some place, right? 52, 52 weeks in 52 Sundays in most years. Some years there's a 53rd Sunday, you know, when it, when it hits us like that, but not very often. <clears throat> so you're on your way. Last week I asked who had made it 52 Sundays. A few of you raised your hand. Somebody asked me during the week, what counts? <clears throat> you know, what if I'm watching online? Online counts if you're engaged. That's your uh, worship service. I'd rather have you here, you know, but if you're sick or if you've uh, been exposed or something like that, and watch it online. If you're out of town, you can watch it online. But there's lots of churches where you're going. And if there's no church, somebody asked me, what if it's just me and the wife on a motorcycle and we're under a covered bridge or something? But we take a moment to read some scripture, uh, maybe have communion if we have the uh, elements, you know, maybe a juice and some bread or something. I said, that counts. That counts. And it should count. So let's give God what is God's this year in 2022. And let me tell you something. He doesn't just want an hour of yours on Sunday morning. He wants every breath. He wants every minute, every second of your life in some way this year. I hope you'll consider that. For the first time in a long time, <clears throat> I stayed up and watched the ball drop. How many of you saw 2022 come in? You saw it come in. All right. How many of you fell asleep? You didn't make it. You didn't intend to make it. You didn't plan to make it. You just went on to bed because it's the same old ball, right? And it drops and the time keeps ticking. Well, I made it and, um, and I'm I'm proud of myself for that because usually I'm in bed by 9 or 9.30, go to sleep around 10, 10.30, unless there's a ball game on, a good game. And if you're a WVU fan, there haven't really been any good games lately. <clears throat> Someone said the secret to being successful is getting started. secret to being successful is getting started. You can have all kinds of resolutions and dreams and plans and have all kinds of ideas for how you're going to improve yourself or your situation, but you got to get started, don't you? You got to take that first step. And here's the first thing I want to tell you today. Everyone who starts this new year or starts anything has to start somewhere, but not everybody starts in the same place. Now, spiritually, we are in the same place. We're all sinners. You know, ground at the foot of the cross, it's been said, is level. None of us stands up any better or any taller than anybody else in the eyes of God. We are all equally sinful. If you've sinned only one time, and I suspect you have, as we all have, then you're equally guilty of offending a holy God. <clears throat> we can't meet his standard of perfection, but that's okay. He knew that. He created us, and that's why he made a way for us to be redeemed, 
to be saved. That's why when he looks at you, if you're one of his, he's really looking at his own son. He's looking at Jesus in you. And his own son was perfect. His own son was able to meet every expectation. And so now when Jesus looks at you, he sees his own son in you and he says, that's one of mine. You're okay. So we're going to talk today about a man. Last week, we, we were in Philippians 3. If you remember, we ended the year talking about the uh, art of finishing well. Uh, Christmas Eve, we were in Philippians. That was Philippians 3. Philipp, Philippians 2, also on Christmas Eve. And we're going to look now at the life of the man who wrote those words. Now, his name at one time was Saul. <clears throat> you might know from any time spent in the church or in the Bible that Saul became Paul. I just want to take a look at his life just for a few minutes this morning as we start the new year. And I want us to get some, some blessing and some help and some strength. And I want us to get some instruction from God's word about how we might get a good start to this year. You like a good start, wouldn't you? Everybody wants a good start, whatever it is. Maybe you've looked in the mirror and you're not you're tired of looking at what you're looking at, or you might be uh, you might be looking at your job situation. Who knows? There's a world of things that you could resolve to do better or enjoy more in the new year. And I want to tell you, unless you add God to those plans, it's all for naught. It's all for naught. So we're going to talk about how we do that. Now, Paul, whose name was Saul, while he was Saul, he was a pretty passionate guy. He was very passionate about what he did, and he believed that what he was doing was the right thing to do. You remember what Paul was doing when he was Saul? If you'll read Philippians, uh, go back to Philippians, like last week we were in chapter 3. If you'll back up a few verses, we were in 12 to 14. If you go back a few verses in chapter 3, you'll read Paul's resume, and he had a stellar resume. I mean, he was, a, he was a Jew of Jews. He was a teacher. He was blameless, he said, in regards to the law, although we know he couldn't have been, but he says he was. And he was following after God in his mind completely and passionately and without reservation. He was doing God's will. You know, it just goes to show you, his life goes to show you that you can be passionate about something and, and be wrong. You can be passionate about something and still be wrong. And so, guys, remember that. The last time you get into an argument with your wife, all right, you might know you're right, but if you win that argument, you're wrong. Right, ladies? I mean, come back to it later. Come back to it later. Uh, so... Saul, the Bible says in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, we're in the book of Acts this morning, was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Now, this section of the book of Acts written by Luke, who was a companion of Paul's later, and even at this time it was written, he records the history of the church and the history of Jesus Christ command to the disciples to go spread the gospel. And he's explaining what happened in uh, chapters, the end of chapter seven and on are really about the apostle Paul and his journeys and what he was doing to spread the gospel and to plant churches and to win people for Christ. So in chapter seven, 
you have the story of a young man named Stephen who was one of the seven chosen in Acts chapter 6. He was chosen to serve what we call now deacons. They weren't called deacons then, but we put that title on them. They were servants who were taken, taking care of the widows of the church because the church was growing so big that the disciples couldn't take care of all of it. They were preaching and praying. And so they said, choose seven men. And so Stephen was chosen as one of those seven. And later in chapter seven, Stephen is preaching and he's preaching the gospel and he's preached a long sermon and it was truth. It was truth to power. And they killed him for it. They stoned him to death. That was what the Jews did to someone they believed was blasphemous, someone that was speaking against God. They had to get rid of him. So uh, they stoned him to death. And the Bible says at the end of chapter 7 that Saul was holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. And Stephen might have given his last breath, and his last, the last thing he saw might have been Saul holding uh, the coats of those who were throwing rocks at him. Imagine Stephen's surprise later when Saul, now Paul, makes it to heaven. You think Paul was explaining, had some explaining to do? Yeah. And so that's what Saul was doing. The Bible says in chapter 8, we turn the page of Acts, uh, Acts of the Apostles. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Later in Saul's life, he was telling in his testimony, he was speaking before Felix and then Agrippa, and he told them, he said, I persecuted this way to the death. That, you know, Christianity was called the way. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. So Saul was giving his testimony. He says, you know, I was so passionately against this that I made it my life's ambition. I made it my, my responsibility. I made it my job to go hunt them down and to put them in prison because they were preaching what Paul thought was a different gospel, which indeed was the real gospel, which Paul would later preach. So Saul was on his way to Damascus. He had heard some Christians were meeting there and he wanted to put an end to it. You know, Christians in those early days met in secret. They met uh, in underground, you know, or they might've met in upstairs rooms. And people say, why wasn't there loud music and instruments in the first century? Well, mainly because they would get in trouble. They would be found out. They would be discovered. And then they would be uh, arrested and hauled off to prison or maybe killed. So Saul had heard about this church that was meeting in Damascus, and he was on his way there. It was 150 miles or so from Jerusalem, his beloved Jerusalem, where all his action happened. You know, that's where the church started in Jerusalem. That's where Paul got most of his business. I mean, business was good in Jerusalem until Acts chapter 8 when they all scattered. And so, and so Saul's going after them. He's going to go down to Damascus, and he's going to, he's going to find some of them and drag them back uh, and put him on trial for preaching Jesus, this man, as God. You know, that's blasphemous to think that a man <clears throat> could be God or that God would become a man. And so he's, he's on his way, and you remember what happened in Saul's life. There was, a, there was a blinding light from heaven, and Saul was knocked off of his horse, and he heard this voice, the voice of Jesus, and he says, the voice said, Oh, Saul, why are, you, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And that, that's my paraphrase. Why are you doing this? And 
Saul said, what do you mean, doing what? He says, you're persecuting me. Saul said, what do you mean I'm persecuting you? And by this time, Saul understood that this was a divine voice. This was God's voice. So he's talking to God. Really, it's Jesus here he's talking to. And uh, Jesus says, why are you doing this to me? And Saul said, what, what do you mean, what am I doing to you? I'm doing the right thing. You know, you can be passionate about something, but be passionately wrong. And maybe today you're looking at your life and <clears throat> you think you're on the right track. You're going down the right road, but it might not be the right road. You may need a reset. You may need a restart. You might need a mulligan. You, you might need to stop and change directions. And so Jesus told Paul, he, uh, Saul at the time, his name was Saul. He said, you're, when you persecute them, you're persecuting me because you are hurting the church and they belong to me. And so this is where Saul had his reset on the road to Damascus. You know, it was a very unusual beginning. Uh, Saul was the ringleader for the opposition and now God is going to set, uh, keep him in that leadership position, but just bring him over and let him lead the church. What an incredible, God had to do this. He did this because Saul was such a, a detriment and a hindrance to the gospel. He was scaring everybody. So God said, I know what I'll do. I'll just convert him. I'll just convert him. You know, uh, lots of people meet Jesus in different places. Where did you meet Jesus? You remember? I, I was a kid. I grew up in church. Uh, even before I was born, I went to church. Yeah, and some of you did too. My mother, uh, she, you know, if the creek was up, she'd swim across it and go to church. Oh, she didn't really do that. You all know that was a joke, right? But she might have. You know, close to where I grew up, there was a swinging bridge. How many of you have ever been on a swinging bridge? Yeah, you've seen them in Indiana Jones and all that, right? We had a swing in, some swinging bridges in, in, in our area. When my mom was little, there was a swinging bridge there. Now, by the time she had me, the swinging bridge was gone and a regular bridge was put up. But um, she took me to church. And so I met Jesus, no doubt, in Sunday school or in youth group. You know, I was around Jesus all the time. Last service, we baptized a little, uh, a little girl. And some people may say, well, isn't she too young? If you grow up in the church, if your kids grow up in the church, or if they grow up, when I say in the church, you bring them to church a lot, and they understand, and they hear about Jesus, they hear about God, they, they hear the message, and, and, that's, and you talk about that in your family, it's a very natural thing. They will probably make that decision when they're young. In fact, statistics say that most people who are Christians today, most of you in this room who are already Christians, became a Christian before the age of 18. Before the age of 18, you gave your life to Jesus. Now, some people give their life to Jesus after they're 18, but the, statistically, more people do it before they're 18. This is why it's so important to teach young people, isn't it? That's why it's so important to, to saturate them with the gospel and with the word of God. Peter met Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Nicodemus met him at night. James and John were mending their nets. Matthew was in his tax collector's booth. Zacchaeus was in a sycamore tree. A woman of Sychar met him by a well. Lydia, a woman in the book of Acts, met him by a river. The Ethiopian eunuch met him on a deserted road. A lame man met him at the temple gate. Athenian philosophers met him on Mars Hill. Soldiers met him at the foot of the cross and some at the empty tomb. Uh, 
Young Timothy was kind of like my experience. He grew up at his mother and grandmother's knee learning about Jesus. And so, where did you meet Jesus? Wherever that place is, maybe it's the same place for somebody else. You know, this year we're, we're going to highlight this theme called Pray for One. Pray for One. We introduced that back in, uh, I think, December, November. Pray for One. And it's, it's a great theme. It's, it's asking you and me to ask God to give us one person who needs to meet Jesus in our life. Maybe you already know this person, maybe you don't. You're gonna pray for God to show you this one person and then pray for God to open up doors for a relationship so you can share the gospel, so you can share life, so you can help and point them to Jesus. And then hopefully, as we pray for one, everybody praying for one, there's gonna be some people that end up in the baptistry over there or end up up front here with the testimony, with their story. And so this is what I'm telling you is that don't discount this place. Wherever you think it might be, it could be somewhere else. It might be just right where they are, right where they are right now. And so instead of you praying, God, bring them to me, maybe you should pray, God, take me to them. Last service, I let people share where they began their journey with Jesus. Few people shared. Would you like to share in 10 seconds or less where you met Jesus? Some people met him in elementary school and some in Sunday school and some from their parents, some from a friend. Anybody here want to share where you met Jesus? Where did you meet him? Anybody? At church camp. Somebody said that too. Great, a great place. That's why a church camp is so important. Anybody else? Sunday school, yes. Anyone else? Where'd you meet Jesus? At, at home, through your family, yeah. Anybody else? Where'd you meet Jesus? Another church. Well, that, that, we don't want to hear that, but no, I'm kidding. That's awesome. I, I, I assume Mount Tabor means Mount Tabor Church. Church of God, I think it is, isn't it? That's awesome. Yeah, there's lots of places to meet Jesus and to start your journey. And most people who uh, attend Gateway didn't come to Christ at Gateway. They came at another church or a church camp or someplace. But aren't you glad we're working together? Churches arm in arm, reaching people with the gospel. So when, here's the second thing I wanna tell you. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready to start, wherever that place is, we really ought to thank God that he's willing to meet us there. He's willing to meet us there. What if God said, you know what? I've got these hours. Here are my, here are my hours. I'm gonna, if you want to meet me, I'm going to meet you on Sunday morning at 9.30, from 9.30 to 10.30 or 11 to 12. If you want to meet me, those are the hours. What if God did that? Well, there wouldn't be a whole lot of people meeting Jesus, would there? I mean, uh, you know, the majority of the population today is not here. They're not in any church. Majority of the population today is still sleeping. They're getting ready for the ball games to come on today. They're getting they're recovering from their long weekend. So, but God doesn't put up hours. You know, if he had said, you can only meet me in church, Saul would have never met Jesus because he didn't go to church. The only reason he went to church was to haul someone out of church. And then when God changed him, he began to plant churches. 
So God blinded him, put him down. He met him right where he was. He was on a passionate mission to destroy the church. And God intervened, interrupted his life and said, I want to meet you right there. And he, when he had this conversation with him, he told him, he said, rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you're to do. So he was blinded and he had to be led into the city of Damascus. And Verse 10 says, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. In other words, yes, what can I do? And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. That's so cool, isn't it? If you're going to get right with God, you got to get straight. Straight now. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. God said, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. In other words, he's seen you. He knows what you look like. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, listen to this. This is kind of an interesting verse here. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. See, Paul's reputation preceded him. Ananias was like, I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. He's destroying your church. He's hurting the cause. He's persecuting. And you heard he's hauling people to prison. And, and here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias was like, well, I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. And here's another lesson for us. Don't discount the name that God puts in your head, places on your heart that might be the one. You might think, no, no, God, not him. He's too bad. He's too lost. <laughs> he, he's, he's got too many problems. Don't, listen, don't make it too easy on yourself. I mean, you don't want to get somebody who's already coming to church and there's almost ready to make a decision. Let God do the impossible. Let God do the hard thing because nothing is too hard for God. Pray for Say, God, give me someone that others would give up on. Give me someone that others would, would discount, would toss aside. That's what Saul was. That's what Ananias was saying. He was saying, God, I don't, I don't know about this guy. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened for some days. He was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately, listen to what Saul started doing. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying, he is truly the son of God. He is the son of God. <clears throat> the same thing the Roman centurion said, truly this was the son of God. Saul changed his name. God changed his name to kind of make his visit to these places a little bit easier. Paul, this is a new man. This is a new mission, a new purpose in life, a new year, a new life. And this is what we want for us. And you know, this is, this is the plan that God had for Paul, Saul, then Paul. What, what's his plan for you? The Bible says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So 
Will you commit yourself to getting a good start? If you're ready to start, here's the last thing I want to tell you this morning in big outline form. There's just really no good reason why right here can't be where you get started. Right here. You know, I've been here uh, going on 26 years, and I've uh, preached a lot of New Year's Eve sermons, and all of them are important. All of them are equally given with the hope that, that the church would continue on the path and continue to do things and, for God and change where we need to, innovate where we need to, do what we need to do. Paul said, become whatever we need to become to reach some without compromising the gospel or uh, you know, without uh, slandering his name. We, we try to stay fresh, if you will. Fresh, is that a good word? I know in some circles maybe it's not a good word. We, sh- we try to stay on the cutting edge, but cutting edge costs a lot of money, so we, we, you know, we're just behind the cutting edge. How about that? But sometimes we're on the cutting edge, but there are some things we'd like to do we can't do. But the most important thing we can do, we can do. You know what that is? We together can pray for one and reach one. We don't need fancy stuff to pray for people, do we? We don't need uh, light shows and, uh, and, you know, all the stuff that even their technology is great and we want as much of it as we can afford and we could reasonably have. But what we really need is one person reaching out to another person. And that one person is you and me praying for one. And this is a good place to start right here. It's a place where you can begin to know Christ. Watch this. It's a place where you can believe. At least you can start believing. It's a place where you can belong. Gateway's a place where you can belong. It's a place where you can become all that he wants you to be. It's a place where you can build, build your life, build your marriage, build your character, and help build the kingdom of God. You know, this is a pretty good place. Years later, when Saul was thinking about what had happened to him, he told Agrippa, King Agrippa in chapter 26, he said, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. In other words, when I understood what God wanted me to do, I did it. I did it. And now, Ananias said, here's your first step. Here's what you need to do next. Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name and Saul began his journey with that first step. They say a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Maybe today is your day. You know, last year, 33 people under the banner of Gateway, whether it was here, another campus, a church camp, 33 people gave their lives to Christ and were baptized. Another 20-some decided to put roots down here. They had already been baptized. They decided to put roots down here. So, 50-some people decided last year at some gateway campus to put down roots at a gateway, uh, in gateway church. And, you know, that's a great number. The last, last service, they clapped for that. It's a great number. And then, and then I killed the clapping and said it should have been twice that much. Should have been twice as much. Yeah, should be twice that much as long as there's somebody else out there 
who doesn't know Jesus, who hadn't started their journey, we ought to try to reach them. We ought to try to reach them. So when, when are you going to get started? Are you going to get started this week? I hope it's this week. Start praying for one. We'll talk more about it in a couple of weeks. We'll unlay the whole plan for you. Let's pray now. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for life change in men and women, men like Saul who became Paul and was passionate about one thing, but it was the wrong thing. We got passionate about your thing, about your plan, about your purpose in the world. Lord, may we, as we examine our lives, develop some passion for what you want to do with us and what you want to accomplish through us in the world. That's my prayer today, that somebody here, not everybody won't be touched in the same way, but, but somebody here would be touched in a way that would change the world. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.